You're listening to The Chamber Connection, a monthly podcast from your Fargo-Moorhead West Fargo Chamber of Commerce, where we go behind the scenes to talk about business, community, and leadership, and uncover what's shaping our region and our future. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Chamber Connection. I'm your host, Darren Dunlop. We're so glad that you are with us today. I am so happy to be joined by Louise Dardis, who is the co-chair of the North Dakota 2020 census efforts. Uh, We're going to be talking today about the history and the importance of the census uh, and how it impacts communities and the current status of the count in North Dakota. Louise, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I I, I appreciate being able to convey the message of the importance of the census. Well, great. Well, I tell you what, why don't we just do a quick start on the history of the census, Louise, and if you would walk us through how the census got started and how its role has evolved over time. Surprisingly, the census started in 1790, and the general public doesn't know that. And what happened at the time is um, written into the Constitution, Article 1, Section 2, stating we need a headcount of all residents. And the key word there is residents living in the United States. At the time, they used that count in a very simplistic manner. And over the years, it's evolved, and it really wasn't until in the 20th century that they started using the census counts for planning, for federal assistance to states, for um, districting or redistricting within states, and for our congressional leadership and so forth. Hmm. Uh, So with that, so I guess the next question I would have is, so who should complete the census. So it's not only just North Dakota residents, but it's, uh, you know, it, it may be aliens, it may be transients, it may be things along those lines. So I guess, why don't you just fill us in a little bit on that? The key guideline is if you are in the state of North Dakota, residing in the state of North Dakota, 51% of a year, so that's six months and one day, you are considered a resident. And even if you own a home in another area, and but you are here 51% of the time, you are considered a North Dakota resident. A prime example of that are, are snowbirds. As they go to Arizona, many of them go for three or four months. That's not 51% of the time. And ironically, if they're in Arizona or whatever state, um, they are vying for the snowbirds to complete the census in their state because it is positive impact for federal dollars rolling into that state. So we are working hard to get the word out that if you are in this state 51% of the time of a given year, um, you are considered a resident. Um, that is all, That also could be a college student. Uh, living who grew up in another state or, the, or their home resident is in another state, but if you consider a nine-month university year, that's over 51% of the time. It could be our oil field workers who work two weeks, they're off a week, and so forth. When you compute that, it's over 51% of the time. They may own a home in another state, but they are in North Dakota over 51% of the time. So hmm. they are considered a resident. Doesn't mean that they are a citizen of North Dakota, but they are a resident of North Dakota. 
So what what kind of information um, is collected and how much time does it com- does it take to oh, fill out the forms? I completed the form online and people had told me, well, it just takes a few minutes. And so when I went online to complete the census for my husband and me, um, it literally took me less than 10 minutes. They ask very simplistic information. They ask the name, the phone number, the gender, number of people living in a household and the relationship to the household uh, owner or or the householder, excuse me. Um, and they also ask the household status, meaning do you pay rent? Do you own the home? Do you own the home with somebody else? Um, do you have, and so forth. Um, and that's basically what they ask. There is no personally identifiable information. And they're very cautious about it because it is illegal for the Census Bureau to share that information with anyone outside the Census Bureau. And that also means any other governmental agency so i guess you know i in this day and age of oh of cyber security and fraud um so the confidentiality of you, the responses of your of your census completion um is 100 percent guaranteed it is 100 percent guaranteed as much as you can guarantee that um as a volunteer for the census and anybody who works for the census, whether it be the person knocking on the door to me as the state co-chair, we have to take an oath um, for con- of confidentiality and privacy. And when we take that oath, we are told that if you leak any personally identifiable information um, and you are caught, you can be fined up to a quarter of a million dollars or, and or jail time. For doing so so it is highly protected highly protected even down to the point that reports that come out from the census bureau are very cautiously monitored and by that i mean if you live in an area with a very small population the report that they'll send out from the census to tell tell about that area and that that information is used by business and government for planning and so forth Um, They're very cautious not to give um, away information that would let anyone who reads that information being able to identify individuals personally. For example, I grew up in a very small town, and in the 70s and 80s, if they would have said uh, or reported ethnicity, you know, they would probably have had to say 95.9% Caucasian and then other because I, they would not allow people to identify what are those other ethnicities that live in this very small area. Now, if you live in the Fargo-Moorhead, West Fargo area, it's different. We have a, a multitude of ethnicities, so they're able to say 75% Caucasian, 10% um, whatever, 5% whatever. Whatever the other ethnicities are, they are able to say that. That's also true with the... Um, economics of areas. Now, they don't ask you in the census what kind of income you make, but through other surveys done through the Census Bureau, they're able to say the socioeconomics of this area are such and such, but they don't break it down any further than that, that you will be able to personally identify anybody through that information. Louise, I guess uh, the next question I would like to pose to you is, 
So why should the general public participate in this, and why is it so important? I know you touched on it a little bit, but I think I'd like to delve a little more into that. There are three main reasons why everybody should be counted in the census. One is for equal representation of government. The second is through apportionment of federal dollars. And the third is the data that is used for decision-making and planning at the local, state, and federal government. Now, I'd like to back up and give you a little more information about each category. For equal representation, um, North Dakota being a low-count state, we're at the minimum of, a minimum of two senators and one uh, representative for the, at, at the federal level. So that's not going to change. But where the impact happens is in our local districts within the state because they use the count of residents in areas to determine senators and representatives from that area. A prime example is our larger communities in North Dakota, such as Bismarck or Grand Forks or West Fargo and Fargo or Williston. Um, the number of people residing in those areas have increased. So their district boundaries for their districts, their uh, party districts, um, have changed. When Bernie and I moved to West Fargo 40-some years ago, there was one district in West Fargo. And now I'm thinking there are five that represent citizens or residents in the West Fargo area. Opposite of that, if you live in a frontier county, which is six people or less per mile, and that's predominantly in the southwestern part of the state, the challenge is, is you have fewer residents and your district grows in geographic size. And what that means for a representative in your area is their miles that they have to travel to visit with the people they represent increases dramatically. And if you're not counted, the end result is your district is going to end up growing. Um, well, you would, you'd also mentioned the fact of, of, of tax dollars that come back to the state. Um, and, of course, we're all very cognizant of, uh, of the money that goes in. But, you know, and we maybe don't pay that much attention to what really comes out. So if you wouldn't mind touching on that a little bit. We all, as much as we make comments about not wanting to pay taxes to either the state or the federal government, <laughs> uh, that money does come back to us in to a certain degree. And the money, money is apportioned by headcount. So if a person is not counted, they still pay taxes, but that money will go to another state who has an accurate count. And so why not have it come back to us? For example, um, it, it, the money that comes back to us supports things such as Medicare and Medicaid Part B, or yeah, Medicaid and Medicare Part B, excuse me, highway planning and construction, schools, kids' lunches, um, Head Start, housing and energy assistance, and things such as that. We have all those needs in North Dakota, and if our people aren't counted, we get less money to support those causes. And then we have to start looking at ourselves to say, so how are we going to support people of need and programs of need? Do we raise our tax dollars? Do we tell our residents of North Dakota, you go without? We, but that's something we have to figure out. So if you participate and are counted in the, res, in the census, um, that money does come back. I'll give you an example. 
how many of us get paid $20,000 for a 10 minute job? And basically, if you complete the census, which takes about 10 minutes, that brings $20,000 to the state of North Dakota for each individual over 10 years. Wow. Not many, not many people can say their job pays them that kind of money. I concur. <laughs> I was I was waiting to where I could sign up for that job. Boy, I'd, I'd sure like that. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Um, and I guess the other thing that you'd, you'd mentioned that um, the, the data that's collected also kind of helps with the decision and the planning for, for state and local governments. So maybe if you wouldn't mind touching on that a little bit too. Absolutely. Um, the obvious thing is when we look at, or the obvious situation is when we look at um, transportation plants. It's roads, it's bridges, it's um, traffic patterns and so forth. Now, um, in a community that's growing um, within the state, they look at what are the traffic patterns? How many people are traveling on those roads? Do they need to be upgraded? Do we have to add another lane? Or do we have to add more roads so we can manage how the traffic flows within an area. Um, if you look at the oil boom in North Dakota, federal dollars definitely help support that because they started looking at the traffic pattern of where are people traveling, not only to and from work, but then where are the oil trucks traveling to and from the oil fields. And as we all know in North Dakota, a large amount of bridges and roads in North Dakota in the western part of the state or wherever oil we had oil, um, not only were roads improved and upgraded, but they were added and bridges were reinforced or rebuilt and so forth. And that's all done by planning. They look at what are traffic patterns, how many people are traveling there and so forth. Um, that's one obvious uh, situation. Uh, another one is an airport. We take for granted in our side of the state that we have an airport. And if we want to go to Grand Forks, it's only you know 70 miles away and so forth. If you live in a rural community, you have to travel a distance to an airport. Well, once the oil boom hit, the airport in Williston grew, the airport in Minot grew, the airport in, in um, Bismarck expanded, the airport in Dickinson expanded. Because of the amount of travelers they had, and they were able to base that on headcount and just traffic that was flowing to and from, air traffic that was flowing to, to and from that area. And it was all done by planning and numbers. Um, Another way they, they use the data from the census is they look at the number of residents in an area. For example, if we had a new restaurant that wants to go into a community, what they look at is, well, what's the basis or how many people live in this area, so how many people approximately will eat at this restaurant? And is this, is this enough for me to sink in a lot of my own personal dollars to, to build this restaurant? Secondly, they look at, well, how many residents live here and what is the employment rate and what is the unemployment rate and are there enough residents here that I will have a basis from which to hire employees that can work in my business. And um, if they feel that there aren't enough people to work in the area in that business, chances are great they won't relocate or build a business in that area because they know they need to hire. So the data is used for a large number of things. As school builds, school, building new schools. Well, we have to build where the kids are. So 
you know, if people are moving and if they're moving to certain areas, um, they build schools there to provide a public education for our students. If nobody's moving there, chances are great they're not going to build a school there. And if they build a school there, then there's housing developments and that and it all it all becomes cyclical. All becomes cyclical. Hmm. Absolutely. Louise, a, a, a question I would have is, so what happens um, if there are certain populations that either go undercounted or not counted? How does, how does that affect all of us? The obvious answer is, is we get less money coming to our state. Now, the money does not flow directly from the federal government to direct locations, it, but it does flow through the state. And so our straight state um, highway department and transportation and our planning, um, the money flows through them and, and, and businesses, communities, state uh, regions request money from the state to support whatever program or whatever project they have going on. If it's not, if a person, if residents are not counted, even though they request the money from the state, the state may look at it and say, this area hasn't grown there's no new numbers up against another area that has grown dramatically, whether it be on the eastern side of the state or the middle part of the state or the western part of the state. But the areas that are growing dramatically are going to need that money um, to a greater degree than areas that are not expanding. Now, that area could be expanding, but if people aren't being counted through the census, how is the state to know that? And it's all based on that type of data, head counts. Sure. Um, I would just assume that in this day and age of, you know, people being suspicious of anybody walking up to their door or getting any kind of mail that they're not aware of, there has got to be, an, you know, a lot of hard-to-count populations. Um, now, whether people are just ambivalent or, or if there are just other reasons that make them not want to participate. So could you talk a little bit about the hard-to-count populations in North Dakota and the challenges faced by the Census Bureau? We classify them as hard-to-count population because it's difficult to get numbers. Um, one of the areas is the tribal nations, the various ones across the um, state. And there's been some mistrust of government for years. And so the um, natives or the tribal nations don't often complete the census. Um, I have to say this year they have made a united effort to um, work with the people living on tribal nations to say you need to complete the census because we are being impacted and not receiving funding that we should receive. Another one is our Bakken oil field workers and we, we, were, we definitely were impacted this year. Um, as you know the oil business uh, declined and shut down or came to a stalemate and the Bakken oil field workers left the state back to their resident in another state um, before they could be counted. That happened in 2000 and it happened also in 2010. So um, those areas that have oil workers are greatly impacted. They don't get as much money for roads and they don't get as much money for um, schools and services and so again it was very disappointing for that to happen but it does happen what we are saying to people in those situations is your family may complete the census in another state but you as an individual if you work in the Bakken oil field should be counted here in North Dakota because you're here 51 percent of the time 
I've also, I've already mentioned the retired snowbirds living here 51% of the time. They need to be counted here. Our, film, our federal military people are very similar to our Bakken oil workers. They may have a resident in another state, but they're stationed in North Dakota for one, two, three years, whatever. Um, they are a resident of this state over 51% of the time. So even though they may own a home in another state, they are still living here over 51% of the time and need to be counted in North Dakota. College students, same situation. I've already mentioned them. And then our frontier counties are our um, low count counties in the state. And a lot of that area, many in that area just pre prefer to remain anonymous and kind of fly under the radar. And so um, they just don't complete the census. And so there are other areas that are a little more difficult to count, such as um, apartment buildings that are secured. And it's very difficult to get in and leave literature or leave, leave the census form if people haven't completed the census or have a census worker knock on their door and say, have you completed the census? Here's the form, things such as that. Um, it's it's difficult to get them counted. Um, Louise, I, I understand that the census deadline was moved, um, and I was just curious um, if you could explain why that was. You know, I'm guessing that maybe it had something to do with the pandemic that's been going on. It's in the, it's been in the news a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Or uh, and and I guess how that happened and what that does mean for your job. Um. The census deadline was moved. At first it was the end of June. And um, when the pandemic hit, they said the census office at the federal level shut down. Now that meant we at the state level kept working and kept promoting and because people could still complete it online, they could still complete it by phone and they could still complete the paper copy. So we in North Dakota and many other states kept working at the state level saying, complete this, participate and so forth. Um, but at the federal level, they shut down. And so they said, in order for us to make this happen, we have to extend the deadline because our office hasn't been open. So they extended, they extended the deadline originally till October 30th and then realized that by constitutional guidelines, all the reports on residents within states have to be on the desk of federal officials, president being one of them, congressional districts, another, by um, late December, early January. And so when they started realizing October 30th left only November and December to get all these reports generated accurately, they said, we need to back it up again. And, and that's what we've been told was the crux of the decision. Hmm. So a, a question I would have to you is, so what happens if like a resident has not submitted their completed form. Um, you know, what What do your, you know, people do when they when they come across somebody like that? Um, if, if they have not been counted, and in our day and age of electronics and IT, um, if you complete it either online by phone, it registers very quickly that you've completed it. So that address, that resident is X'd off. You don't, they're done. But if you have a, a resident that never shows up having had the completed form sent to them from any manner, they have what is called a census worker, or the, the correct name is enumerator, knock on your door. 
and you able you are able to know if they are a census worker because they have census worker all over their body they have it on a mask they have it on their iPad that says census they have it on their backpack they have it on their jacket and um, they have been trained to maintain um, a social distance and so forth but say we're here to check have you completed it um, and so forth and here's how you can or here's a form to complete it and so forth and at this point um, if there's nobody at home they'll knock on those doors up to six times now please know that um, because of the pandemic it's been a little more difficult to hire those enumerators so what we did is concentrate on the areas of lower counts meaning they were below 50 percent completion so our, our region um, have very few enumerators here because we basically have a higher count. But there are other areas in North Dakota that wasn't the case and they have the people knocking on the door more frequently. If they do not ever get somebody at home, they may stop at the neighbor's house and say, does somebody live there? And if a neighbor says yes, they say, how many? And they don't ask names, they don't do anything like that, but they're trying to align addresses to numbers of people so they can get some sort of count. The challenging part for our residents in the state is there are also people who are doing validity accounts and it gets confusing. So they may have somebody knock on the door and say, I'm from the census. Have you completed the census? Yes or no? And so forth, but we're just doing a check. I have you on my paper saying you have completed it. Is that correct? Um, and that's just spot checking, just like any other research that goes on, but that's a validity check. And so they're also doing that at the same time. Hmm. So uh, how can you tell us, you know, I don't know if you get uh, updated numbers on a regular basis, but how are we doing, uh, I guess, in North Dakota, but also maybe, you know, in, especially in our regions and in, in, in the Fargo and West Fargo area? Um, we in North Dakota as a whole have fallen very much in the middle of the pack. We've had um, all along. Um, we are now at about, um, uh, let me back up a step. We are, are uh, have a census rate of right now right around 63 to 65%. I, the last I looked was 63.9% and I heard today in a statewide phone call that we were bumping on 65%. But we also have had enumerators visit 95% of the homes that haven't registered as participating and saying that people have indicated that they've either completed it or they've sent it in in a completed format. So we could have as high as up to 90%. It's the paper format that takes longer to count, longer than the phone calls and the, um, uh, um, the computer. So. Um, if that's as high as it is, um, we're doing well, but we have to wait to find that out. So, you know, well, hopefully our listeners are grasping the importance of the census, and it's not just, a, a, you know, the federal government, you know, creeping in on you to make sure, uh, find out about different things, because it is very important very. to very important to our communities, to our state, and, you know, to, to every neighborhood even. Um, so if somebody hasn't completed the form, what are the measures that they can do? Who can they contact to make sure that they're, uh, that they get counted and, and we're taken care of? Great question. 
Um, they can go online if they so choose to complete it online and it, just go to my2020census.gov and that will lead you right through the questions and, um, and, and they'll ask for your resident, you know, your residential address and so forth and it takes you right into the completion of the census. If they want to complete it um, through a phone call, they can go to 1-844-330-2020. And the same thing goes for the phone conversation of there'll be somebody there or electronically walking you through, but you have to have a phone that you can, you know, hit numbers on the phone to indicate responses. So no dial-up? I should no get rid of my dial-up dial phone that <laughs> I've got right. at home? That's right. And other than that, um, paper copies have been sent to every residence, resident. And um, for example, I got a paper copy and even though I had completed it online, but they, because of the pandemic, they are doing overkill to make sure people get some form in order to complete the census. If they have questions, go to the state website at the Department of Commerce. If you go to ndcommerce.com um, or just North Dakota Commerce, um, you'll hit their face page and it says North Dakota Census on it. Hit that and it gives you, gives you instructions of where to go. And it gives you a phone number on who to contact and talk, talk to. You know, ask questions and get information. So, Louise, as as we wrap up here, I think I would like to just follow up with you again. You had said that the deadline for the census is now the end of September, September thirtieth, and um, and by law, you're required that the legislators and the leaders of the government are are due to have it by the by December or January at the yes. latest. So, so will our legislators have all of that information in their hands um, before the session? in North Dakota or does this is the federal government the one that collects it and then will disseminate the information out from there it's your second option the federal government gets it first and then they disseminate information from there and and uh, it starts with the federal government and breaking down the information then by state takes time and that's why redistricting sometimes doesn't happen for until two years after the census because it it's such a heavy flow of information and they need accuracy Hmm. But, yeah, the federal government is where it starts. Okay. Well, Louise, uh, do you have any final words that you'd like to to give to our listeners today, uh, other than urging them to uh, get their census taken care of? I guess my message is be a responsible North Dakota resident. Complete the census because it does impact everyone that lives in North Dakota, people of all ages and all needs and wants. Hmm. Please complete the census. Louise, thank you very much for your time, and thank you for your, all your hard work. I can just imagine, if, if I've, no matter if they've got all kinds of masks and stuff that say Census Bureau on them, anybody that comes and rings my doorbell that I don't know, I'm always suspicious of. So I'm, I, I would assume that <laughs> your, your team has uh, been working diligently in very, very trying times. It's been interesting. I'll just, I'll just say that. It's been an interesting time. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you again, Louise, and thank you for listening today. Uh, don't forget to complete the census for your household by the end of the month if you haven't done so already. And please come back very soon for our next episode of The Chamber Connection.